VA's new radio outreach page, news.va.gov outreach radio. Every Friday, I proudly wear a red shirt, not just because I love the color, which I do, but it has a much deeper meaning to me. Red is an acronym for Remember Everyone Deployed. It's a powerful reminder of our brave men and women who are overseas serving our country. This simple act of wearing red is more than just a fashion statement to me. It's a symbol of solidarity and support. It's a silent yet impactful way to show our troops that they are in our thoughts and our hearts, no matter the distance. So join me in this meaningful tradition and let's keep our heroes in our minds and close to our hearts. Why do you do it, man? Why? Wow. Some kind of war junkie? I won't say a goddamn word. Why? They won't understand. They won't understand why we do it. They won't understand it's about the men next to you. Find us on the web at mbradio.us. I want to make it clear that the views expressed by our hosts are not considered the official stance of MBR views. Remember, this is all about having fun and enjoying the ride. For all things veterans, we advocate, educate, liberate, communicate, congregate, fascinate, so we can proliferate. Trying to make dreams come true. Well, they supported us now. It's our turn to support them. The Revel Experience. Get experience. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Revel Experience. This is V Squared. We got got G CG in the house. CJ. We got H or CJ. CG. I said CG, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Go. I got it right. Yay! I, I, I thought, I and we got H Train on the on the on the on the sound. Yeah, the uh the uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum didn't show up because they were sick. <laughs> no, I, they're 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 good kids. They um they just couldn't make it because they're kind of they're kind of sick or whatever. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we got a uh, we have an I don't want to call her an intern because she she kind of has the same background as me. She graduated from the Colorado Media School. She's ladies a veteran. and gentlemen, the new Mommy G. Mommy G. Yeah, yeah, mommy, mommy G. G. 
but she wants to be called CG. So get it straight, okay. pal. <laughs> get it straight. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, kind of woke up some brisk weather this morning. A little bit, you know. I'm still in my shorts. I'm a diehard shorts guy. So, um, as long as I don't have to be on the exposed, have exposed skin for too long, I, I'm fine. But uh, yeah, a little bit brisk. Kind of exciting if you're a winter sports enthusiast like myself. Um, H and I went up to Breckenridge last week and had a great time and, um, we're ready to hit it again. I leave next week for Crested Butte for about six days. So looking forward to that. So hopefully we'll get some more accumulation, um, but not too much in the city. Cause then my wife gets mad. <laughs> How about you CG? You like uh, winter sports? Uh, you know, <clears throat> no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I tried snowboarding <clears throat> a few times and then I think, uh, you know, I fell down and, and sat there and cried and then, <clears throat> watched everybody go over the top of me. Took me like four hours to get down the mountain. Needless to say, find <clears throat> me at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. One and done. Yeah. <laughs> it is an acquired taste. And uh, I mean, know. it's beautiful. I'll go sledding. I, I don't hate the weather. I just don't really do, you know, winter sports. But yeah. Yeah. What, a, what, what do you do? Any sports? Yeah. Tennis is my sport. Tennis. That's been my sport. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a that's a good sport. <laughs> so before we get into the breaking news, how will you tell the uh, how will you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Since I mean, we we already know V. Okay. You know, we don't really know you, so tell everybody a little bit about you. Um, let's see. Yeah, a little background information. Yeah, I was a Marine after I uh, graduated high school. Shortly after. And, you know, did my four years, which was amazing. Best experience ever. Not best experience, but definitely would do it again. <laughs> and what and, years did you serve? Uh, 99 to 2003. And I was actually with the uh, HMH 466, which is right next to 361. That just had that crash, which is very unfortunate um, and sad. That's where I was stationed was Miramar right there next to them. And then, you know, wow. after that, I did college. I went to school for media. I'm starting up a travel company and a voiceover business. Wow. So I'm really, lucrative. Lucrative. Yeah. And I just had a son. He's nine months. And I'm very grateful to have met. Freaking just, adorable. <laughs> he's so adorable. Of course, I had to show my videos. <clears throat> yes. And I appreciate uh, H-Train here helping me, uh, bringing me right in and making me feel like family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, welcome, welcome. And, <laughs> and uh, what an interesting uh, story you have there. Um, so now that you're here, you're going to have to put other stuff on hold. Not shook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, just... uh, dude, she was, a, she was a sport. She was sitting here and she was trying very hard to like get in. But she definitely, she she's not into sports. You could tell that she was so <laughs> bored Wednesday. Glass. Yeah. My eyes are all glassy. Yeah. But she was a team player. She, yeah. <laughs> yes. She did her best. So um, I'm just going to bring it up because I didn't have a chance to write it out. But top news of the story, and, you know, we're, we're going to do a little bit more of it about dropping the mic. But um, I don't know if you've heard, but the Kansas shooting. Yes. Uh, that's the, that's one, the one biggest dead, story. One dead, 21 injured. And apparently Mahomes and Kelsey were knocked down, I mean, uh, fall down drunk and acting ridiculous. I mean, not, that's just a side story. But, yeah, pretty tragic. And apparently it's 
perpetrated by teenagers. Did I get that straight? Yeah. So they detained three guys, uh, and pretty much all of them have been released. The one was released because they were like, oh, no, we uh, we don't think that they have anything to do with, you know, they're like, we don't think he had anything to do with it. But the other two, it, it wasn't like a terrorist attack. It was like a dispute. It was a dispute, and people got in the middle of it. That's, that's pretty much what it stems from. It says, Kansas City Chiefs parade mass shootings stem from dispute to juveniles detained. So that's the, uh, that's the, big, that's the big thing. And then uh, you guys keep on going. Um, I'm looking to see because we got some more breaking news. Yeah, as well. and well, you know, yesterday on the news they had a story here in Denver that uh, a 13-year-old shot a, a man because – on the bus, yes, yeah. a dispute over his apparently his leg was in the way or something to that effect, and it's just we're living in a mad world. Matt, remember that old movie? It's a mad, 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 mad. I don't know. It's a little time. H <laughs> train remembers. Yeah, but, but it's like you know, it's it's uh, it's coming to reality. It's just crazy how these kids are getting younger and younger, and 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 just and my wife's like, well, how did he get a gun, honey? Come on. It's first of all that that's a bigger issue, but yeah, it's way too easy to get a gun in anyone, and and it's not just the U.S. It's basically anywhere in the world. It's just way too easy to get a a weapon, you know, to 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 get something that can harm people. Mm-hmm. So and 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 I and you know, and I said I told my wife I said, you don't think they have twelve and thirteen year old gang members? Of course they do. Oh so, yeah, for sure. So. It's not well, really any, you know, that far fetched. I wouldn't be surprised if they found out it was parents' gun. Well, that's what she said. She yeah. says it's probably their parents' gun. I said, well, yeah. could be, could very well be. Which um, you know, I mean, you need to have those locked up. You do. You, do have you know, and I have mine. I have like triple, triple security on mine. So I have a gun lock on all of my guns. I have them in a gun locker, and then I have my ammo s- separate, yeah, separate, and a different, different. Good safe so and then i have actually four because then i have the door locked with the key that has to be unlocked with the key in the room that they're stored and and uh you know it's just it's just crazy you know and being i he kind of shared with ucg that i was a i'm a retired educator and i remember um you know issues at school and you know you'd call the parents in for their child's behavior and it just more often than not defending their child's behavior and that's what we're having that's mm-hmm. part of the biggest problem we have is that well he wouldn't have done this if, if uh, exactly well, what about the other kid <laughs> yeah you know exactly. you hear that all the time or or well you know i know he wouldn't do that he'd never you know and it's like well yeah he yeah, did it's it it's really hard to see your child <clears throat> i think it is you don't want to you know that, and of course sure. not of course not you don't you know you don't want to admit or have to fucking acknowledge excuse my french but that you have to acknowledge that uh, your child is, you know, out of line or being. Well, and it's so sad because at that age. Thank you, sir. Yeah. That. <laughs> at that age, they're so confused. Their their emotions go up and down like that. They're not, you know, teenagers. Yeah. They're not to be trusted. <laughs> yeah. My grandson is 11 and he plays on a basketball team and he's he's vertically challenged. 
<laughs> so uh, he played a game last night, the last game of the season. And he was so upset because he didn't get the ball one time. Uh, they didn't pass into him one time. And so I, I told him, you know what, dude? Nobody loves me. <laughs> yeah. And I told him, you know what? I don't want to play in the tournament. I said, you don't have to. It's been going on all season. You finish the regular season, you're good. Yeah. I don't want to traumatize the kid any more than he ever is. <clears throat> and uh, his dad agreed. So, and so did grandma. So we're like, okay, dude, he, he's looking forward to football. He's going to start tackle football this year. So, well, at least he's not giving up. No, nah, he's, and he's a really talented kid. He just, uh, he, he didn't want to play basketball. We kind of, uh, cajoled him into it because his all his friends that he played flag football with are on the team and i was like dude you're friends and so but uh yeah it, it's it's one and done for him he wants to do boxing and football so that's oh, good nice. so that's some things your son has to look forward to yeah yeah well he's gonna he's a he's a thick baby he's gonna be big <laughs> so everybody <laughs> everybody like he's is, really is, tall is papa big boy yeah, he's six two. So yeah. and uh, you know, I'm not short, but I'm not that tall. I'm like five six, but my dad's six two as well. Uh -huh. His dad was six two, so I have a feeling he's gonna yeah. be tall. He's he, already he's gonna, like she yeah. said, he's gonna be thick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I um yeah, I don't want him to play football though. <laughs> Well, you, you know, know there's just so many injuries. Yeah, it's, it's, it is hard. Brain injuries and stuff. I mean, obviously, I'm not gonna like not do it. You know, not let him. Do is this your first child? Yes, it is. Okay, well, there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> remember, remember, remember those those commercials where you, you know, it shows the mother with the little. Oh my God, she's got baby wipes out. She's got sanitizer and all this. And then the second kid, she's tells the mechanic with his filthy. Hold oh, this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was something I read too, and they're like that people are, you know, they get so picky about that they feed their children, and they're like, "Don't worry about it." By the time they're a toddler, they'll be eating Cheerios and dirt off the floor. Yeah. Like you'll be fine. Well, you know, we kind of went through that with our granddaughter, yeah. who's six now, and our youngest, and she wasn't eating. She's just a little skinny little thing, and the doc says, you know, all she wants to eat is junk food and everything. And, and I told my son, I said, well, dude, as long as she's eating. So then we went to the doctor and the doctor said the same exact thing. Like, oh, really? As long as she's eating something, that's what we're concerned about. Okay. We want her to be, you know, we don't want her eating all this crap, but as long as she's eating something, try to find something healthy she likes and feed her a lot of that. So she loves fruit. So we give her a lot of fruit. I heard, you know, that happens with a lot of children. They go through phases where they just don't eat. Yeah, they yeah. don't eat. Yeah. Oh, this Ca Caveman's talking to you guys on uh, TikTok. And oh. I don't know if you guys can read my writing or whatever, but. I kind of included what the what the and all that stuff was yeah, before yeah, yeah. we go on our first music break. Yeah, it looks. And good. we got looks some good. comments this morning. All right, what do we got? Oh, how, how, wait a minute now. Somebody you said Caveman is on TikTok. Yeah, he's on TikTok, uh -huh. and he's uh, he's got the uh, comment as well. So what uh, is he typing between hurls or what? <laughs> <laughs> He has FOMO right now. <laughs> and then uh, in Locking Windows, uh, Patricia Clark in Locking Windows. All right. Well, good morning, folks. Well, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your uh, being here and uh, hope you're staying warm in this frigid weather. So before we go on um, commercial break, if you guys want to go ahead and 
Who are we interviewing today? Today we have a guy named, I love his name. He's the perfect country, country uh, star. His name is Jesse Wayne Taylor. And he is affiliated. He's a singer-songwriter out of Nashville. And he's affiliated with Creative Vets, which is another great nonprofit uh, organization that helps vets um, write songs and further their uh, aspirations. I mean, you know, we're not all looking to be Luke Combs or anything, but... We're just having a good time. Um, it's a great way to um, de-stress and a great way to deal with some of our physical and mental injuries. And uh, I wrote a song with him called uh, Never Ending Road about two or three years ago about how my wife has just been there for me through so much. I mean, she's just an awesome. She's my pillar. And so I wrote this song dedicated to her called Never Ending Road because it's like a never ending road with me. <laughs> you'll, 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 you'll learn that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm really excited about having Jesse Wayne on today. And uh, he, you know, he goes by just Jesse, and I always, you know, enunciate the whole name. And he's like, okay, dude, I got it's it. It's a really nice it. name, though. It, it is. It's got a nice, really, it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it really sounds great when you say it all together. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's been having some some health issues lately for the last several years, and uh, so bad that he had to teach himself how to play guitar left-handed. Oh wow! Because when he holds the guitar right-handed, it causes severe pain in his back and his mm. shoulders. Crazy. So he's learned to play left-handed. That's amazing. So, excited about that. Looking forward to that. And when we come back, H Train, what do we got for us? We've got the what the moment, and today's what the moment is. FBI agent lies. Yes. So, that's never happened before. Right? So whatever you do, stay with <laughs> us. Don't go away. You're listening to the section that's giving veterans a voice. You're listening yes. to MBR right here on the Rebel Experience. Yeah, right back, folks. Yeah. What makes LTV unique in the history of tactical? No CEO has ever been what I've been through here been catching thrills, won't you please forgive me? And I've been mixing pills with some weed and whiskey. I hope I don't see some blue lights crossing more than yellow lines. Maybe one day they're gonna get me. I've been losing sleep just to chase the wrong one. And we've been doing things that we won't speak on. I ain't gonna deny it, no reason to hide it. Sixty years we're rolling by It was here we said goodbye War was brewing, it was extreme We were only teens I knew the day I died All alone, my brand new bride Our favorite song would be a sign I'd be back in time So raise a flag with pride and grace Seen the pain on a soldier's face Bring me home, both sides say 
I'm a soldier of the USA You weren't alone all these years Seeing you cry, I know your tears You raised our child and a family All without me You've done well with your life Lots of friends by your side I heard a nightly secret prayer I was always there To raise a flag with pride and grace I seen the pain on a soldier's face Bring me home, both sides say I'm a soldier of the USA Time, my lovely wife, bring you home. Say goodnight. Close your eyes to our favorite song. Can you see me now? Can you see me now? One day. Come back in time For those we leave behind But for now We'll watch them grow Welcome home Welcome home City, there's liars 
and government frauds in the mountains I'm free and closer to God on the other side it takes a real man hunting and fishing working the land on the other side For the rights that God gave On the other side It takes a real man Hunting and fishing Working the land On the other side I'm the best part of me A hammer and a shotgun Is all that I need Hey Brandon, I dare you Tread on me, I'll show you the end of this AR-15. I'm not the type to go looking for a fight, to keep poking the bear. I'll show you my stripes on the other side. I'm the best part of me. A hammer and a shotgun. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Rebel Experience. We're here with CG. We've got H Train in the house and V Squared here. We're uh, moving along. We got uh, some some an exciting guest today in a few minutes. But uh, first, we're going to do what the and drop the mic. So uh, H Train, what do you got? Those are cool tats, man. Oh, for real. Thank you, bro. You yeah. see the cobra? I mean, what is this one? Oh, this. Uh huh. 
That's my credo. No regrets. Mm -hmm. You have no regrets? Dad? No. Like, not even a single letter? No, no. way. <laughs> not me. Well, I love him. I think he's great. Okay. I think he's a real winner, Casey. If I were you, I wouldn't use protection. What the? F that was funny. <laughs> yeah. So, the, the, what the segment today we have uh the story um coming in saying that there's an fbi agent right and you know we don't usually get political but i asked the listeners last night hey um give me a what the moment and this is the uh this happened 11 hours ago special counsel charges the fbi informant with lying to the bureau about hunter and joe biden um, and you know, it, it, I'll read this, but like, Shocking. I don't comprehend. So maybe you guys can explain it to me. Maybe you can explain it to other listeners and viewers that have, you know, mental issues like me, uh, Washington an FBI informant has indicted on two counts of allegedly feeding the bureau false information about president Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden during the 2020 presidential campaign. Alexander Smivel, I don't ha know how to pronounce it, 43, disliked Joe Biden. And I'm, uh, I'm bringing that uh, article up so that uh, everybody can kind of like read along or whatever. He was arrested in Las Vegas after returning from a trip overseas, according to the Justice Department, the case grew out of special counsel investigation being led by David Weiss, who is also leading the case against Hunter Biden. Weiss has been appointed by then-President Donald Trump as the top federal prosecutor in Delaware. The 37-page indictment alleged, allegedly, allegedly, that's that word again, that, that Smirnoff, there, there we go. I like that name better. Have been a <laughs> confidential human source for the FBI since 2010 and provided false derogatory information to the FBI about both Biden and Joe Biden's uh, became a candidate for president in 2020. He is facing one count of making a false statement to a government agent and falsification, falsification of records in a federal investigation those are felonies yeah so is he on trump's payroll <laughs> yeah joking. it's like some, somebody had to go down so there <laughs> that poor guy got has to go down got it so uh you know the sad thing is I, i'm not getting political or anything but the sad thing is is like we nobody knows the truth anymore every time you think something's truth something happens and the real story opens up. What's your guys' or, thoughts? Or does it? Yeah. You know, I mean, you're right, H. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, I have a suggestion. Have you ever heard of a book called Manufactured Consent? Look it up. So back in the day, uh, I'm not exactly sure of the year. I, I'm, I'm the, it's on my list to read. But anyways, back in the day, um, they were the, the government was worried about you know public opinion and perceptions and all that, so they invented guess what they invented the news, yeah, exactly. And so now we have the news that you know, because that's why I don't watch the news because I don't watch the form of brainwashing, yeah, you know. I and, it. and this book talks all about that manufactured mm -hmm. consent, making us this is what we believe. Same with commercials, commercials to me are just you know brainwashing. 
So um, anyways, I digress. But yeah, so it's it's hard to know what's the truth anymore. It really is. It's just really hard to know what's the truth, what's not the truth. I mean, we struggle with the truth in our own families. So how are yeah. we going to know what's well, the truth in, in, in public life? Well, and I was going to say, so like I just found out this week, that, and I don't know how they're doing it, but so Michelle Obama now is going to be in the Democratic seat for the president. Yes, I heard that. Yeah, and... She's gonna be. She's hugely popular. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, you know, I I hate this. I mean, like I, I like I said, I don't want to. I don't want to divide the listeners. You know, Republican or Democratic. You We're know, purple state. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> but it it's it's going to be interesting to find out how this plays out because if you remember in the past when Hillary Clinton was running for president, like right before the election. Remember, Tim Tebow came out and said, hey, you know, I don't endorse Hillary, blah, blah, blah. Like that word, that endorsement right there just blew the socks out. And, you know, that, that's how Trump won. But now, even like with uh, Taylor Swift, like or she's in the news constantly, like uh, Trump's trying to get her to endorse him. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's uh, it's crazy how this election is going. And with this new evidence you know the fbi lying against biden am, am i right it's lying against well, we biden. got our primary election ballots in the mail the other day and guess who's not on the ballot no trump, no trump. well we knew that though I know. we knew yeah, that was gonna saying, happen i know we yeah. did but it's still being it's still it's the primary election so it's not really you know it's not the real election but but you know um it's still at Supreme Court. They're still deciding on that case, whether he's yeah. going to be taken off the ballot or not. So I was just surprised to see. All I saw was Biden and a bunch of basically no names that I don't even, I don't know anything about him. I don't know. I mean, it's not like I know a lot about Biden, but, you know, he is our president. But, yeah, about six names. And I was just kind of surprised that he wasn't on there. Well, they're turning it into seems like a, some sort of entertainment spectacle. It's all well, sensationalism. Yeah. What's that guy's name? His uh, I forget his first name is Jackson. He's a he's like a representative. He was telling us that on TikTok that you know when when they do all these like you know the, these these you know pass the bills and all that. He said that they're attitude changes when the camera comes on, and it's almost like they're trying to get sound bites and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like an acting thing. Instead of literally talking about the talking, about, yeah, I'm telling you. Well, a lot of times with Trump, he would just say they would just pick what they wanted to, you know, talk shit about when with what he said, it might not even make sense. Not saying I'm for him or against him, but you know, he would say something, they would just take the end of that sentence mm -hmm. just because it was more of a buzzkill words, you know, right? Yeah, that right. people just want to hear. And then you could read the article and then it actually tells the truth and has nothing to do with the buzzwords. You never know. Right. It's all. It's all. And then we so, got AI now. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we don't. We have no. That's another lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. another lie. Well, and, and we know, all sleep on beds of lies. It seems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you know, and not. And speaking about lie, another thing that happened that I wanted to bring up. I don't know if you knew that, but so there's a small town in Texas, and the sheriff. Yeah, I guess he's uh, been obsessed with the O.J. Simpson case. 
And I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Kodiak Killer, where, you know, this retired guy is looking for the serial killer. And oh, yeah, 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 By yeah, the yeah, time yeah. he finds it, he, like, gets killed or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I did It reminds me exactly of the same kind of movie. Because what happened is he came out and told everybody, he's like, hey, look, uh, I have the murder weapon. I found it in a storage shed. And because of DNA technology you know new dna technology he thinks he's cracked the code he thinks that it's his son who killed nicole brown or nicole simpson and and, and whatever i forget his name but so after, i've never even heard of this this kid before after, after all these years now after all these after, years now he's gonna now he's gonna give up his son <laughs> well remember they yeah. could, they could never find the word murder weapon and like if you remember, I might the, have an inkling if my son did it, you know, yeah. at least an inkling. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. And it makes sense, though, if, if that's the case. Yeah. So that's another thing that I wanted to bring up that happened this week. That's like, wow. You know, is it a rumor? Uh, I mean, CBS News reported it. Is it a rumor or is it true? We'll find out in, you know, five days. Yeah, so we'll find out. Well, that, you know, there is a lot of times that things come out and you think it's a lie and then it turns out to be true. So sometimes sources are legit, especially with celebrity stuff. You know, that's for me. Like, yeah, it's like, kind of like when you're in grade school and, and you swear up and down that you don't like this girl, but you are, you're always picking on her. And, always, <laughs> and then the truth comes out. It's like, of yeah. course you like her. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we can go on another break or we can run right into dropping the mic. What do you want to do? Let's run right into drop the mic. All right, let's do it. Well, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do. We just can't just All right, here we go. Dropping the mic. So we have our drop the mic segment this morning is Lisa Lopez. So Lisa Lopez, unfortunately, may she rest in peace, is the is the uh, gal, the DJ that, that was killed at the KC celebration parade. Um, one her death and twenty one others others injured, and it's just so sad that this lady, this mother of three who was a huge proponent in her community of, of uh, uh, fighting against violence. And she actually made an announcement minutes before her death about being safe and let's not have any violence, folks. Let's all have a good time. And, and then this tragic accident happened. It's just so sad. And apparently perpetrated by teenagers. Is that right, H.? So it was maybe not a shooting. It was more of a disturbance. Or, uh, that's exactly what it was. You know, like when it, whenever you hear about shooting, you always automatically think that it's like a terrorist attack or something. Right. But what this sounds like is, I don't, well, I don't want to say game related, but it's one of those things where you know, and it makes sense. Two NFL, you know, NFL teams, you know, they're having a parade. Drunk, yeah, <laughs> drunk. Oh, you don't like Mahomes? You know, bam. bam. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I think that kind of ha happened. When I read the article, that's kind of the picture that okay. I got painted for me. Well, nonetheless, very sad and tragic that uh, 
it just it's just another another senseless death you know it's just uh, it's just i shudder to think of uh, you know what our society's going to be coming f to for our younger generations you know i just uh kind of put on the topic of both like uh the lying and <coughs> this i watched a show the um into the wormhole, you know, with Morgan Freeman. Have you seen oh, it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so they have a new season out and they kind of really touch on things that are going on in the world. And they did a whole 30 minute segment on uh, these shootings, the school shootings, mass shootings. And they actually have a whole a people, a group of people that studied, took all the data from every shooting that we've had since Columbine and tried to find patterns on why the shootings happen. And they came to the conclusion that it was about every, once the media hit with the shooting about 13 days later, there would be another one. Wow. Yeah. So they kind of said like, you know, in a weird way, do we just stop talking? If we just stop like putting this on t the media right, right. and giving it so much attention, you know, people, they get triggered by this and then, you know, and then it happens again. It's almost like, it's just, it's psychological thing. Like I, I can't remember everything verbatim, but you can look it up. It's like, you know, on prime, I believe, but it's a very interesting way to look at it. And I don't think people are afraid to even talk about it like that. We live in a society that there's so many people that want to feel like celebrities mm -hmm. and when they're doing good things or when they're working hard or something, it seems like they're not getting no any further for recognition. So they're thinking, okay, well, if I can't get positive news, I'm going to get negative news. And usually, usually it's the people that got bullied in high school or got made fun of and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, when I tell people that, people tend to tell me, well, you know, uh, that, that that's no excuse for shooting anybody. And I'm like, I, I understand that. But keep in mind that the internet wasn't around a long time ago and now the internet has just broadcasted so if they can't get any positive they're thinking oh well i'm just gonna go shoot up at least i'll get attention that way yeah. and you know that's the reason why i wanted to talk about this dj host that's in kansas city because you know we're we're DJs here. We're hosts. And she did the, uh, it's a Kansas City radio station, The Taste of uh, Tejon. She was the host of it. And it's just, it, it, it's, an, it's just incredible that, that this happened. Tejon. Tejon. Okay. It's just, it's just incredible that this happened. And, you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to give her a tribute, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. It's just so sad. Uh, you know, so, so, so basically what you're saying H is this is, uh, basically caught in the crossfire. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it looks like. Wow. It's just so sad. And, um, and, and didn't you say the kids already been released? One of them has been released. The two others, I think they're still kind of like holding or whatever, but dude, they're like under 16. So, they're they're like juveniles. Mm -hmm. Nothing's gonna happen to them. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants something to happen, but nothing's gonna happen to them because, 
like I said, they're they're juveniles. And, you know, there's so many people that talk about, you know, gun laws. And I don't think gun laws is going to help anything. I really don't. But what I do think that we need to do is instead of worrying about gun laws, I think we need to, like, you know, prep for, you know, for things of this nature so that it doesn't happen again. For example, like I've said all along that I think that, you know, like, I mean, not this in particular situation, but like schools, they should put like that. Uh, what What is that stuff that they put on trucks, on truck beds? They should put that Kevlar like paint or mm-hmm. I don't you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the liner. Yeah, they, they should paint that on like the, you know, the school rooms and stuff. Uh, you know, LTD, one of our, our title sponsors. Tactical, yeah. Yeah, they, they create bulletproof backpacks. I mean, I mean, that right there, that's that's a tool in itself. It mm-hmm. might not be a gun, but hey, at least, at least you're protected. You yeah, know? I mean, at least have layers of, of security at schools. And no. that's what we need to talk about. We don't need to talk about gun laws. We need to talk about preparation of what we can do to plan it. Exactly, and to prevent. Yes. Exactly, because like I said earlier, not only is it so easy to get a, a, a weapon in America, it's worldwide now. I mean, you're going to get your hands If you want it, you're going to get your hands on it. So like you said, I agree with you. What are we going to do? In light of that, well, let's prepare. Well, like we did in the military, you know, we're, we're military, we're veterans. What do we do? We train, we get, prepare, we o- overcome, we adapt. You know, so that's what we need to do. We improvise. Um, we don't, we don't do that enough in our society. You know, we, you know, like she said, like like CG said, we just kind of wait around. Oh, it happened again. It happened. It's so tragic. This tragic incident. Do something about it. Let's change our way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Let's change, change the, the way, way we, we prepare for these things. Change the way the media gives us this information. Yes. You know, just, you know, yes. make maybe only talk about the victims or something, you know, yeah. or try not to. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not like you don't want not to be heard about it. but Right. Well, yeah. we certainly don't want to spotlight the gunmen. No. We, we certainly want to spotlight, you know, and give tribute to the ones that you know, lost their lives. And I forget the gentleman that he, like, he was a, he was a good Samaritan. He tackled the gunman. And I don't know if he was, he was probably not military because if he was military, you know, the news would have spotlighted that, you know, but my question to you guys before we go on break is if you was in a store, and there was a guy that had a gun and pulled it out. What would you do? We we have that delusion of well, you know, we would tackle them or you know, and 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 uh, try to wrestle with them to get the gun away. But in reality, what would you do? Would would you kind of stand back? You know, you know, because you don't want anybody else getting hurt, or would you sacrifice yourself to try to? in this situation what what would you do well i think it would depend on the situation but you know yeah your, your instincts are to, to to deter them and to um try to end the situation but in like you said that's it's easy to sit here as like an armchair quarterback and say oh i'll do this i'll do that mm-hmm. but if you're in the thick of that 
yeah, it would have to be dictated by the situation because you may not have the opportunity. You might be too far away from him. He might yeah. have more than one weapon. He might have an automatic weapon. I mean, there's a lot of variables there that would have to be considered. So I, I would think- I would honestly say I'd have to assess the situation before I could answer that question. Now, Mama G, you're a, you're a different <laughs> situation because... <laughs> well, if my son was anywhere near, I'd right. probably just lose... Yeah, I'd see red. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, as far as... I mean, we all... I mean, not maybe not all of us, but we kind of hope we'd be a hero, but you never really know. In situations like that, I, I feel like a lot of times that shock takes over. You don't even know what's going on because right. it's so hard like to see... If someone just comes up and socks you for the in the next three seconds, 30 seconds, you're like, what did I do to deserve that? You know, and your your mind is just it really yeah, messes your mind shocked. up. Yeah. And it just so in those situations, I think people are like they're seeing it happen and they just it takes a while for your brain to catch up and to be like, this is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a lot of things. And some people that are going to probably jump in and save the day are going to be people that have been in that situation before. So they know how to react to it, right. which would be right. a military service member more likely than anybody else. Or, you know, law enforcement. The law enforcement. Yeah. yeah. Someone that's had to put their life online for, <clears throat> or have, you know, is familiar with that feeling that you get when, you know, something shocking happens that seems real. It doesn't seem, seems fake, you know, right? even a car accident. You're like, is it? No, that didn't happen. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. You know, and she brings up a good point with the like car wreck or whatever. Whenever somebody goes through like a car wreck, it's almost like they're, they're drones pumping, you know, they're like shocked and stuff. And I agree with you on like situation. If I, if I saw a gunman, you know, and he was like sweating and shaking, you might feel then, more confident, yeah. I, then I might feel more comfortable. But you know, if he's like, you know, all calm, dead eyes, dead <laughs> eyes, you know, and you know, he looks all steady and stuff, then I would probably lay low back because you know he he might. I don't want to say be experienced, but like. He yeah. might be in that zone where he just doesn't care. Yeah. And people, they get in that when zone. Have, when they have nothing to lose. Yeah, they you do. Have, yeah. I've been there. I, I'm not a gunman, of course. But, you know, I've been there where, like, you know, I'm, I'm down. You know, I, I feel like I'm worthless. You know, what else do I have to lose kind of thing, you know? So, yeah. So, with that being said, if you guys don't have anything else, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and go to break. And when we go to break, who are we? Uh, who are we talking with? At the top of the uh, hour. Top again? of the hour. Creative vets. Uh, Jesse Wayne Taylor. So, so folks, hey, stay tuned. We'll be right back with our exciting guest speaker, and we're gonna, we're here to advocate for vets. All things veterans. We educate and we celebrate. And. The next video that we're getting ready to play, ladies and gentlemen, we love them. Fly Above Fire, their debut album in the shadows. So awesome. whatever you do, stay with us. Don't go away. You're listening to the show that highlights all the nonprofit programs out there beyond the VA. You're listening to the Revel Experience on NBR Radio, the station where we give veterans a voice.
when he got killed, he he was killed. Uh, and the army disagrees with this, but the, his man told us that he was killed while they were looking for Bert, Bo Bergdahl. He was the guy that deserted. We had a very close relationship, and I miss it every day. There's just a constant barrage of, of things that come up that I think, oh, I need to tell Darren that, or Darren would do this, or... He and his buddies, we would pick them up at 29 Palms and bring them home, and I would hear the stories and how uh, the firefights, the stuff that they don't tell you on TV, the true stories, and I'd sit in the hallway with the pillow crying. So when he got back from Iraq the second time, uh, the PTSD was pretty much out of control, and uh, they fed him the, the, the typical, hey, this, take this, take this in the morning, take this at night, and multiplied it out. You know, if this wasn't working, if one wasn't working, well, he had two more. A couple months later, it's still not working, add three more. One night he called me, he, w he was going to stay at base for the weekend. We had a conversation and probably within eight hours, he was dead. I am the mother of Corporal Benjamin Kopp, who was an Army Ranger that was killed in action in July of 2009. The day after he landed at Walter Reed, he was determined to be brain dead. However, the brain death um, qualified him, if you will, to become an organ donor. And so his, um, all of his major organs, bone, skin, and tissue were donated. And his heart is literally still beating today in a woman from Chicago. You know, I believe it was Emerson, the poet, um, who stated that the one thing about life that he's learned is that it goes on, whether we want it to or not. down what's itching inside my mind it's been too long since we have talked about nothing at all wish i could call i know you're lost please don't you worry there's no need to hurry just stay strong it won't be
You know, people say, you know, time heals time. Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Army training, sir! Army training, sir! On the web at want to make it clear that the views expressed by our hosts are not considered the official stance of MBR views. Remember, this is all about having fun and enjoying the ride. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, had a little bit of an extended break. I'm having a little trouble with our with uh, hooking up our guest with um, a link, so he may have to call into the show. I'm texting him the number now. Okay. Which that, that makes. That makes sense. <clears throat> um. Hopefully, he can. Uh, you can tune in one way or the other. So just so you guys know, I don't know why, but like I even tried to get on the other day just to like inter- uh, talk with somebody and trying to get through StreamYard. They've, and I need to send them a note. It's hard for you to get into StreamYard because you got to like sign in Facebook or YouTube. And then, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a mess. What used to be a very user-friendly app, you know, app that you use on URL has changed to something completely different. 
You know, and I was talking to a veteran about that uh, yesterday. In fact, funny story. I'm not going to say names. I'm just going to tell you. So I, I, I'm, I was here all day yesterday. I was here like seven, eight in the morning, and I didn't leave until probably like maybe three thirty. Okay. And one of the guys that I talked to, I think he was Vietnam Air. He was an older gentleman. When he told me, yeah, you know, I want to do the podcast. And I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, and I sent them the lesson plan. He was like, okay. He's like, um, I don't exactly have a smartphone. I have a flip phone. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, wow. This this is this is what I'm I'm gonna be tasked to do. Um, okay, all right, with. you know. So I had to take his model number and everything and Google how to find like the the sound clip or you know stuff like that. And finally, he he figured it out. And you know, I talked to him yesterday, and I'm like, look, you be patient with me. I promise I'll be patient with you. So me and him we're gonna, gonna we're gonna go you know step by step. You know, through the podcast. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I, I already know how to podcast. I already know how to do that. But, you know, with a, with a podcast, I've learned that more people stay tuned and more people listen. If you kind of have like a playbook, you know, it's, it's, it's format, you know, 15 minutes. Because me and her, Wednesday, you know, oh, we yeah. get, we're, you know, they're still learning. You know, we're like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, because you can you can sit there and talk numbers all day, but well, know. if you have a segment that someone really likes, they might just tune in for that segment, right? You know, exactly, as long as you're consistent, exactly. So, uh, and tell him if he wants to, just have him call the yeah I studio him, number. I told him so. He's trying to work on that right now. But okay. you know, part of the problem, Joe, a big part of it is is the human condition because we're. You know, it's like just anything anymore. Logging on to your bank account, you know, using, you know, redeeming a gift or a prize or a free something. You've got to jump through hoops, man. And it's all because we've got, you know, people out there that are uh, scammers that are trying to scam you. They've got a two-step authentication. I mean, this, that, and the third because it's just what we, you know, unfortunately, it's what we need to do to keep ourselves safe or keep our information secure and uh it's it's just it is what it is you know? now while we're waiting for him i figured that i would go ahead and bring up the website and we could talk a little bit about what the website says until our our guest either calls or shows up yeah. that way you know we're not sitting here like stalling with videos and stuff um so it says that Creative Vets' goal is to offer opportunities for relief and healing of the men and women who have sacrificed so much for our country. Our purpose is to use various forms of art, including songwriting, visual arts, music, and creative writing, to help a disabled veteran cope with service-related trauma, i.e. post-traumatic stress, PTS, by fostering a self-expression in the way that allows them to transform their stories of trauma and struggle into an art form that can inspire, motivate, continued healing. Throughout compassion, we are helping veterans live again. Now, Mama G, there's one thing that you you didn't know about V Square because you know you just met him, but he does a program called Soldier Songs and Voices. 
and they do it every Monday, and they, uh, they're they hosted by Post One, and it starts at what time? 7, 8.30, roughly. Um, so very similar to Creative Vets. Uh, it's all about getting veterans out there. Um, you don't have to be musically inclined. A lot of people, oh, I don't know how to do it's 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 not about the quality of the product it's about you and and getting you to a healthy state of mind that's great yeah Yeah. i just moved back i was living in south carolina for a little while and uh there was a place called opfob that they started and it's basically a rifle range it's a rifle range where that all vets can go uh and first responders and they would do breakfast oh wow uh, yeah they and so you could go, you could use their guns. They had uh, areas where you could, um, you know, stay the night if you want, like a cabin. And every morning on Saturday, they would do a comrade and coffee. So you just go there and they would make like breakfast for everybody. And where's this at again? This is in South Carolina, in South Richland, Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah, and it was great. And they funded it all for, it was based by uh, veterans. And a lot of it had to do like for the 13. I think it was 13 days or I, I think it's the amount of veteran suicides that happen is like, that's 22, 22. Yeah. Yes. So for 22 days, they lit a fire continuously um, for that. You know, they do a lot of, so that's great. Cause his, you know, all this seems similar. And, and, the veterans, and can I, can I spoke, can I speak freely? Yes. Uh, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I just kind of, I kind of have to say it because I mean, me myself, you know, I I help run a nonprofit. You know, me and you got, you know, we we help run a nonprofit, and I can honestly tell you that I really think that the that the twenty two suicide. I mean, I, I I honestly think they've they've played that number out too much, and they're just using it as a like a marketing technique to a point you know i i don't know if it's more or less but you know it's uh we got something there there we go hey we got something there we go just in time you you guys don't want to hear my opinion ladies and gentlemen it is that time it is the interview of the week interview of the week sponsored by ltd tactical Welcome, welcome, welcome! Yeah, <laughs> we got success. Finally, see each other. Yeah, <laughs> you know Jesse's—he's not the most technologically advanced guy, but he gets there. <laughs> you're exactly right. But I get—I find a way to get the job done get eventually. The job done. So we—we—I'm uh, just so glad to talk to you, Jesse. It's—it's it's been too long. Um, I, you know, Jesse and I wrote a song probably about what two, three years ago. It's been about that long. I wrote that when we wrote that song together. I was still playing guitar right-handed, and since I, then, and I told him that I was yeah. like, "Wow!" So, so Jesse, tell us a little bit about um, yourself and how you got involved with. You know, you've been a singer-songwriter for a long time. Your musical background, maybe how you got involved with Creative Vets, and and, and if you feel uh, compelled to, you know, your your medical issues that you've been dealing with. Yeah, for sure. And and I will say, and you know this about me. I can be a little long-winded every once in a while. So if I get on a roll and y'all need to stop me, you ain't going to hurt my feelings. I'm just letting you okay. know ahead of time. Um, but Pete's name- dude got 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the other day I did a, um, I did a podcast with, with one of my coworkers, Ricky, and he asked me one question. And about 40 minutes later, 
I said, what's your next question? <laughs> so it, it can happen. And uh, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. But, yeah, I'll, I'll try to give you a, a little bit shorter version of what I gave him, but still give you the, the good stuff. I am 31 years old. I was born in Nashville and raised in Fairview, Tennessee, which is like 45 minutes towards Memphis. Um, and my whole family is from there. My mother's side. My father's side, um, both pretty good sized families and uh, went to school there all the way through middle school. And then in high school, I, we were going to church in, in town in Brentwood and uh, all of my friends went to the same school. And I was getting ready to go into high school, getting ready, you know, talking about thinking about playing high school football, all that stuff. And some of my buddies from church was like, hey, man, you should you should go to school with us here at Lipscomb and, and play football with us next year. I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And I mentioned it to my parents and not knowing what it would take for parents to send kids to a private school. You know, I just asked them. I was like, hey, what do you what would you think about me going to school here next year? My, my buddies want to play football with me. And they were like, you know, we hadn't really thought about it, but we'll think about it. And they ended up putting me in school there. My mother got a job at Lipscomb University right across the street so we could afford to keep going there all three of us because my parents ended up putting my little sister and little brother in there as well i went all the way through high school there when i graduated i went right across the street to lipscomb university um i wouldn't say that i was super fired up about college i didn't necessarily um know exactly what i wanted to do but i had a lot i spent a lot of time in my my youth group going up and growing up and i had quite a few people tell me i might make a good youth minister and my dad was a youth minister um back when i was really 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 young so the thought of that was pretty cool and that's what i went into school for um i i didn't really start playing guitar until i would say um my junior and senior year i had an uncle that played in a bluegrass band and um he would have me come out to these little bluegrass jams and bluegrass practices. And I was like 13 years old, you know, every time I show up at one of these things, he'd be having someone put a guitar in my hand. He was always, he, could tell, he knew I could sing a little bit and was like, you need to learn how to play this guitar. Well, being around bluegrass pickers, they're just like insane fast. Um, and I never, never really got enough confidence to like really try to take it on for myself. Cause I was like, I can't, I'm not going to be able to play like that. And then there was always this little five-year-old kid who could play the freaking fiddle like Charlie Daniels that always showed up. <laughs> I mean, seriously, he, he always showed up at these jams and that kind of shot my confidence down too. So awesome. with that and the fact that um, I, I didn't really have an awesome guitar at the house that was in really good playing shape. I had an older guitar that was my dad's um, when he was a young kid but not something that was good enough to really get some good learning in on. Um, so it never really happened until I started hanging out with some friends in high school, my junior year that, that did some music stuff. And um, a couple of brothers had a, had a, a studio at their grandmother's house and we would go over there and hang out and just kind of being around that energy and that environment. They, they grew up around a lot of songwriters and kind of understood how that went. I didn't, I was totally, just like mind blown every time I hung out with them. And I have a, a specific memory of asking one of my buddies, he was playing a John Merrick, And I was like, dude, how'd you figure that out? He was like, you just got to sit down and figure it out. And uh, anyways, so uh, my senior year, I started dating a girl who had done some songwriting and played guitar. And so 
she had a nice guitar at her house. And anytime yeah. I was over there hanging out with her, I was picking that thing up and trying to learn how to play it. And it was a much nicer quality guitar than I had I had any access to. So it was a little easier to play things on. Um, but she and I broke up about two months into college. And I'm telling you, right then and there, I decided I was going to sit in my dorm room and write as many sad country songs as I could. <laughs> I'd fallen into songwriting within that year. I had like dabbled in it junior year and senior year. And then I'll end it within all that time. That's just where my energy went. Right. And uh, that's where it stayed throughout the rest of college. Um, I, I played in writer's rounds around town, which are like they have bars will have one person go out and book nine, 12 songwriters in one night for like, you know, four or five hours. And none of those people get paid. They just show up and get to play on a stage for a few few songs, right? So that's where my energy was at. I was nowhere good enough to play to play to get paid, like in the bars and stuff. But I was good enough to go out and sing my own songs in these writers' rounds, and that's what I did, and I loved it. And I knew the whole time I was in college that I wanted to I wanted to be writing songs. Um, and uh, when I graduated college. I knew that I didn't want to get a real job. My junior year of college, they called me and they said, Jesse, if you don't pick a new major, because I told you I went into school to be a youth minister. Well, when I started writing songs, also country songs, I started drinking that country beer, son. And I got to drink <laughs> a lot in college. And before that, I really didn't drink much at all. So ultimately, I kind of had the thought, well, there's probably not a ton of churches running around looking for youth ministers that are really good at drinking beer and writing country songs. So I kind of pushed away from that and put all of my effort into um, writing songs, playing guitar, playing around town. I was also working part-time, but darn near full-time at a gun store here in town called Nashville Armory. I worked behind the range counter and, and did all kinds of things there. So what little free time I did have outside of school and work, I was I was doing music stuff. When I graduated, didn't want to get a real job. I had a buddy that was living with me at the time who had just quit his full-time job and was just playing bars to, to make a living. That sounded very attractive to me. I didn't love the thought of a boss. If you got yourself into a 40-hour work week job, that is 40 hours of working the week away and not spending it on guitar. And that, to me, did not sound right because ultimately I kind of got a late start playing guitar. I didn't really, really bear down on it till I was like 18, I would say. And so I kind of felt a really big, heavy sense of like, you have some catching up to do to be able to play well. So I wanted to have myself in a position to where I was going to be playing as much as I could. Um, my buddy that was living with me at the time, uh, we, my grandmother passed away right after college and, and he and I moved into her old house in Fairview where I grew up literally right across the street from the house I grew up in. And, uh, we lived there for about a year and a half, somewhere in the neighborhood of that. And he got a gig at a bar in Franklin, Tennessee around that time. He had been going, to um he had been going to that bar every single wednesday night for like nine months and he had watched this duo play their gig every single time and he would ask if he could play a song every once in a while they'd let him up well as soon as that duo decided they were done with that gig he was there and ready and told the owner hey i, I will i will play this gig i can do it i got a buddy we'll, we'll cover it 
So the next week he asked me, he's like, hey, man, we were living together. So it kind of made sense to be able to do that together. It'd be pretty easy. Um, but ultimately, I do feel like he was kind of throwing me a bone then because I was not that great of a bar performer at that time. But um, he let me in on that gig and that gig held us over. Um, we didn't have a lot of overhead living in my grandmother's old house. So playing that gig and just like one more had us taken care of. And if we played anything else on top of that, we were, you know, feeling pretty good for, for young men fresh out of college. Um, year and a half of that went by and I ended up playing a, a gig that was a benefit show actually at that same bar. And uh, we weren't getting paid that day. And, and back in, in those days, I mean, you, typically when you get paid at a bar, it's not as much as what you need pretty much all of the time. And they will offer like free food or free drinks a lot of the times to like compensate for that. Well, this particular gig, like I said, it was a benefit thing. So we didn't get paid at all. And they gave us some free alcohol. And you better believe I took it. I'm telling you, if I got anything free, I got my money's worth out of it. Yeah. And so um, later that evening after the gig, we played out in the sun for four hours, and that was stacked on top of a few days of gigging. Um, I left and went to drive home, and about it's about a 40-minute drive, something like that. And about five minutes from my house, I was just like, I was like, dude, I'm about to pass out. There is no, I'm like so exhausted. Like we, we played our butts off today and yeah, it's about to happen. If I don't get my butt home quick, I'm going to fall asleep right here in this truck. And I was sitting at a red light and I turned left at the red light and it's a straightaway that runs down about like a mile, something like that. Maybe not quite a mile, but it's like 55 miles an hour. So I guarantee you I was booking 55, probably a few more over than that. And um, ultimately, exactly what I was fearing would happen, happened. I dozed off enough to like not be going exactly straight like I should be. And as I came to, I kind of swerved to avoid hitting someone and then lost control and ended up instead of going to the left and up this big hill, I went straight off that straightaway like a ramp and into a light pole and off into a ditch. Um. Luckily, the guy that uh, was on the other side of the road that I avoided, he was kind enough to pull over to make sure I was okay and um, got down into the ditch, opened the door, helped me out of the vehicle, and we walked up and sat on top of the hill and watched that thing burn up to nothing with about $3,000 worth of my musical equipment inside it and one of my favorite guitars. I even, I even tried to go get the guitar out of the trunk. He wouldn't let me because it was on fire. And uh, ultimately, the EMT showed up. They took my blood. They took me to the hospital. I had a massive gash right here on my forehead. I had a massive gash up under my, my ribs right here. Um, Vanderbilt was full. They had me laid up on a bed in the hallway, and they had a uh, doctor and a doctor's assistant, a person who was training to be a doctor. Let me rephrase myself. They came out. And the person who was training to be a doctor sewed me up while the doctor watched her and told her what to do. I left. They sent me right on out of there after that. And ultimately, I just wanted to pretend like that didn't happen. I wanted to get home and get back to playing music because I was pretty um, disappointed in myself and ashamed of that situation. And so obviously I had to lay there for two weeks because I was beat up. I was real beat up. But after those two weeks and I was able to get out and, and start playing again, I did. 
Um, ultimately, when I started playing again, I started drinking again, buddy, because the two went hand in hand. There was no separation at the time. And um, ultimately, in that following year and a half, I probably drank more than I ever had and more more by myself um, than out socializing with other people. I ended up having a DUI from that car accident and I had a breathalyzer on my car for like a year. So a lot of the times I would, I would go play a gig, not drink and I would come home and I would just get tanked. Um, and yeah, that was, like I said, that was kind of the, that was the rotation for, for about a year and a half after that car accident. But I played a string of about five gigs. I played two in in Kentucky and two in Indiana, and then I had a day off Saturday or Sunday to drive back to Nashville, and then I played another gig on Monday morning at ten o'clock at Valentine downtown on Broadway. And uh, on that gig or the ride back after the four gigs, four days of gigging from Indiana, I was totally just like completely vocally exhausted. Like I played four, four days worth of gigs and these were three or four hour gigs every day. And then I had the one day off, but then that day I kind of felt like respiratory sick, you know, it's kind of coughing a little bit. And I was like, whatever, I'll be over it. I'll go, I'll go home, get a good night's sleep and wake up and go play on Broadway. Well, I went home, I got a good night's sleep and I woke up that next morning and I felt worse than I did the night before showed up to my gig on Broadway and it was one of the most uncomfortable and like vocally painful experiences I've ever had in my life. I uh, almost ended up calling a friend to come play the gig for me um, or the rest of the gig. But I knew if I did that, I wouldn't make any money from it and I would have suffered through the front end of it. So I figured I'd just finish it up. So I drank me a little whiskey and got through that gig. A little elixir. Yeah. And it was, and honestly, like that was, I, I was in that much pain that like, I, I like had to do that. Um, and ultimately when I got done with that gig, like I said, I was, I knew something was wrong. I knew I had like messed up my voice somehow, but I didn't know what was up. I was walking back. I honestly think now that, now that I think about it, like I would have definitely had my DUI at that time. So the breathalyzer would have been on my car. So there's a good chance my mom was picking me up or I had to just sit around and wait that off until I was even able to drive back home. I don't remember what I did, but I do remember walking back through the alley downtown. And I just remember praying and being like, God, what am I doing wrong? I don't understand. Like I, I'm trying so hard and there's a lot of people that I've worked with this in this town that are doing so, so glowingly well. And I am really struggling and I just can't figure it out. And I kind of felt like I was hearing something like maybe I didn't give you that voice for you to go waste it on $50 and a few shots of free liquor on Broadway. And I didn't know exactly what that meant at the time, but I did know that I wasn't going to be able to rely on my voice to make money anymore. Um, so I went back to my old job that I worked in college, Nashville Armory, and I asked them, hey, would you guys mind if I come back and worked a little bit part time so I could keep some money coming in my pocket where I'm not actually out singing? They were like, yeah, man, we loved having you out here. We'd love to have you come back. So I started working two weeks into that job. My old boss corners me and he's like, hey, man, we got a full time position up and we want you to take it. I said, well, I don't want to take it. He said, well, we want you to take it. 
I said, well, I want to be able to get back to playing music as soon as I can. I was like, I just am afraid I might have to have a vocal surgery and I'm kind of backing off this singing stuff for a little while to let things heal up. And he goes, well, what if I, you know, what if I paid for your health insurance? And so I was like, okay, well, I don't think I have an option right now. I think that's what I'm going to have to do. Um, so yeah, I decided to work that job for about a year and save as much money as I could. And then I was going to quit it and go, I figured a year would give me enough time to get the vocal issues figured, figured out and enough time for me to save some money up and get better. Um, and not have to live like it was kind of in some ways for a little while, it was nice to have a consistent, steady job. But also, again, it was horrible because I was spending sometimes 50 hours a week away from a guitar, you know. And so like that, that was where my goals were and my aspirations were. And so anyways, um, I worked there for that year. They ended up needing me for a few months after that. I continued to work about a year in between a year, a year and a half. And then I took all the, the whole time I worked there, I lived at my parents' house and that was a great blessing. And I appreciate them for that. But that was also a massive sacrifice. It was no party um, having to live at my parents at that age um, as a grown man. But I was doing that so that I could break up out of there and really have a nice, solid little financial pocket to be able to push things and not have to be just so broke all the time. Um, and that's what happened, man. I rolled up out of that job. I went and recorded um, my first single with a buddy of mine, a, a producer, and uh, I released that. I signed an agreement with a booking agent, paid her $1,500, and she was getting ready to book me and my band all over the country to go play that song and, and many others. And I was really, really excited about it. If you never, if you like to play music and you've never gotten to play behind a band and you get an opportunity to do it, you realize how much fun it is. And I was so, so, so excited to go do this. Um, three days after I paid that money to the booking agent, COVID happened and nobody went to play anywhere. Um, fortunately, she sent me my money back. Um, and that was a very, very kind thing that she didn't necessarily have to do. But she did it. And uh, ultimately, in those couple of years, you know, from what was it like 2019 to 2021, like everything was chaos, you know. And so, like, I, I didn't want to have to go back to a full time job, but I did go back to Nashville Armory again for for a few months. Um, but ultimately, as soon I, at that point in my life had worked really hard to 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 get a nice, solid group of bar and grill type places from Nashville all the way up to Michigan. I had, I got a spot to play up in Michigan and was able to find a bunch of other places from Michigan all the way down to Nashville. And so as soon as anything started to open back up restaurant wise, I was on them, dude. I was on those places that I used to play and I was saying, Hey, I'm ready to show up with my speakers and guitar. I can come play whenever you guys are willing to have me back. Um, those places were able to get away with having some live music before any like actual concerts or anything like that was going on. Right. So I was able to continue to work a lot of the time, but I did have to spend a lot of what I had saved um, coming out of that. In 2021, February of 2021 is where we are kind of we're really coming off a lot of this COVID stuff. I had gone in to uh, do some volunteering with Richard. I met Richard Casper, the co-founder of Creative Vets. Um, 
back when I was early on in college. Like there's, uh, we talk about it. We can, neither of us can quite remember why or like how we met. He blames it on his TBI, and then he blames it on my drinking too much back then. <laughs> so uh, we can't like manufacture TBI. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, ultimately, uh, we we met downtown. And I know we met, we, we had this conversation at the Whiskey Jam. I know we met a few times throughout town, but at the Whiskey Jam, I asked him about what he was doing, like who he was and what he was doing for the first time, besides just like knowing him as that, hey, big tall guy, Richard, right? That's always smiling and never drinking beer. And so um, I asked him and he told me what he was doing with Creative Vets and what he wanted to do with Creative Vets. And he was like, I'm out here looking for hit songwriters that would be willing to to write with with veterans going through our program. And I laughed. I said, well, I'm no hit songwriter, buddy. But I did get second place in the songwriting competition at the Country Music Hall of Fame. There was about 35 people in it. And I got first place in a singing contest at Rooster's Texas Barbecue right down the street. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm no hit songwriter, but if you need a good backup, buddy, I got you. Give me a call. And so we traded, we traded phone numbers. That night, I I was at the Whiskey Jam, and let me tell you, I Whiskey Jammed. I woke up the next morning to him calling me at about 10 o'clock, and he was like, hey, man, what you doing? And I was like, oh, nothing, buddy. I'm just getting some stuff done here at the house. I'm not sitting here feeling like I'm about to throw up off the side of this bed. <laughs> you know, I didn't tell him that, but that's how I was feeling, and he said, he said, well, it was, it was good talking to you last night. We actually have a veteran here this morning who – um." Uh, who needs someone to have, we need another co-writer for the writing session. And would you be willing to come join it? I said, absolutely. Let me get my stuff together and I'll head that way. So I drove into town and we wrote with a guy named Zach Heath. Zach Heath. um, Basically at the time, Richard was running all of these programs solely by himself, which I still don't know how he did it. But he was running everything by himself. When we have a veteran come through one of the main programs and they're in a songwriting room with two or three songwriters that they've never met before, we always pair them with a mentor veteran who's been through the program, who has a song, who has a story, and can kind of open up to them about that before they have to go into the room, you know, with with cold, I guess what the phrase is here is cold feet or something like go into the room. So that yeah, they've they've had an opportunity to talk about it. They have a battle buddy in that situation. Well, Richard was that guy um, for Zach Keith, and uh, Zach told us he was like, "Man, we're going to talk about something that I hadn't even really talked to my family or any of my friends about at all." And uh, uh, he cried through a lot of it. We cried through a lot of it. We had a hard four hours, but at the end of the four hours. Um, we had a really awesome song that he was so proud of and that he loved and that paid homage to a friend that he lost. And uh, Richard came up to me and said, hey, buddy, I know you're playing in one of those writers rounds this evening. I need you to play that song in, this, in that writers round so me and Zach can come watch you play. And I said, <laughs> I love you, man. I had a blast writing this song, but there ain't no way I'm playing it tonight. I was like, I am not that good of a guitar player nor songwriter to be able to do all of this in one afternoon and then play it very yeah, play it yeah. well that afternoon at least at the time I was and um he said Jesse Zach has got several kids he's probably not going to get to make a trip back to Nashville anytime soon and this is a good there's a good chance this could be the only time he ever gets to hear this song live and I said well dad gum it okay I'll do it 
So I got my phone and I brought it with me and I put it up on my mic stand. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyways because Richard talked me into it. And I'm so glad I did because I played that song and it didn't sound perfect by any means, but I played that song and I sang it in that room of maybe like 20 people. And uh, that guy sang and cried and smiled every single second of that song. Worth every minute. Yeah. And, uh, Ultimately, we were singing about something that no more than eight hours before he couldn't talk about it. Um, and we're we're singing about it in a room full of people in public. And he is like proud of it and, and crying and like just you could just tell it felt like there was a weight that he had lifted off his shoulders. And and I kind of felt like God was saying to me right then, buddy, you know, it didn't, yeah. take a, it didn't take a whole lot for you to do that. And it meant the world to that guy. So I told Richard, I said, man. If there's ever any any time you need me, just let me know. That was that was a really awesome experience, even even for me. And so he was kind enough to have me come volunteer over the years. But like I said, in 20, it was probably the end of 2020, early, very early 2021 when he had me come in to do some volunteering. And by from 2019 to 2021, I've always had lower back pain since high school. Right. But. From 2019 to 2021, that lower back pain started to creep up into my into my ribs, into my upper back, into my neck, into my trap, my shoulder. It basically took over the whole right side of my body. And from 2019 to 2021, as you can imagine, that was COVID times. I was playing as hard as I could and as long as I could at gigs to make as much money as I could any chance I could. So I played harder from 2019 to 2021 than I ever have in my entire life. And that is the time that my body got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Late 2020, 2021, truthfully, I was ready to pretty much leave town. Um, I knew that that pain was taking over the right side of my body. And I knew that I was no longer going to be able to make money playing gigs like I was. My mother and my, um, she was my girlfriend at the time. She's my wife now. Um, they were driving me to my gigs. I was in so much pain. I couldn't like drive easily. And so I was like, if you can drive me to this gig, that's an hour and a half away, I can play for three or four hours and you can drive me back. And that was what they were doing. Um, so I knew things were, were getting, that was not going to be able to happen. Anyway, I couldn't keep making my she was Like I said, she was my girlfriend at the time, but she was working full time. I couldn't keep having her take me to these things for me to work on her times off. It just couldn't keep happening. Um, and ultimately I, uh, I, her family lives in Knoxville and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I was pretty much ready to leave town and move to Knoxville. And, uh, start a job and start making some money. And uh, I kind of communicated that to Richard before I left after volunteering for him one day. And a couple days later, he called me back in to do more volunteering and offered me the beginnings of the job that I'm doing now. So do you think, do you think that your pain is all this back issues, health issues or is a direct result of your truck accident? Or you don't know? No, great question. I think I've had a torn labrum since high school, which explains to me the lower back pain I've had since high school. I had that wreck in 2015, and I ended up after that wreck, after I quit drinking in 2017, from 2017 to 2019, I lost 70 pounds and got in the best shape of my life. 
I am nearly, I've nearly gained all of that back throughout this horrible experience. I had, so I mean, get to this. <coughs> After I took the job with him in like January of 2021, I went to see a surgeon in February of 2021. My wife set it up for me. She was like, you're, you're hurting too bad to not, there's got to be some kind of surgery or something you can get. So I went and met with this surgeon. He did an MRI on my shoulder and he did an MRI on my hip. Said, your shoulder looks fine. There's nothing to explain any kind of pain up there. But your hip, you have a torn labrum in your hip. And if we repair that, that should get down to the root of the problem. So I said, cool. <coughs> How long, like, is this something that I need to do immediately? Or is this something I can push off for a few more months um, and do it a little bit towards the holidays. He said, you can push it off. You've already, you're already in pain. It doesn't matter when you have it and you don't even necessarily have to have it. Um, so I said, okay, cool. How long of a recovery is it going to be? He said, you're going to be on crutches for a month and a half. And I was like, okay, so that means probably not playing shows for about two months. So the holidays would be the best time to do this. So that's what I did from February. I, I waited until September 6th. That's when we scheduled the, the, the surgery. And from February until September of 2020, 2021, I played my brains out. I played harder than I've ever played. And <clears throat> that whole time, everything just got worse. I love like my my doctor was so wrong when he told me that it wouldn't matter. He, he was wrong. It mattered so much. It made everything worse in those few months. And as soon as I had my surgery, which I was just praying every day. Like, God, just let me get to this surgery because once I have this surgery, I'm going to feel normal again. I'm going to be able to play guitar again. I'm going to feel normal again. It made everything worse. Um, I got They gave me a one bottle of Percocet for the pain from my incisions after that surgery. Um, as soon as that pain medicine, medicine was gone, I was it was so aware to me how awful and horrible things had gotten. Um, I went back to that surgeon four times, told him that the pain was way worse than it was before the surgery. Every single time, not once was I given any more kind of medication to help with the pain. He told me after that fourth visit, you just need to go back to your primary care doctor so he can find a way to get down to the root of the problem, which is what he said the surgery was going to be. So I went back to my primary care doctor. Who, truthfully, yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, truthfully, I, I believe that my primary care doctor thought that I just wanted pills from him from the first time I came in complaining to him about pain. I looked so normal throughout this whole process, but I was anything but that. And I, I genuinely think that he he thought I just wanted pills to take them, not because I was actually suffering on the level that I was suffering. So right. when I went started going back to see him in a panic after this surgery, it, it felt even more like that. Um, from September 2021, like I said, except for that one bottle of Percocet, from September 2021 until May of 2022, I was given no medication and I was left to suffer. Just it was horrible. And like I genuinely cannot believe the doctors that were working with me left me in that can get condition without like I mean, like it it was just I, I can't believe it. I genuinely can't believe it. But in that amount of time, after the surgery, I played yeah, two gigs, right? I never imagined having like to stop playing gigs for good, right? I just imagined having to quit playing them for a month and a half. And then once I was better, being able to play them again. But once I went into playing those two gigs, man, I was miserable. I played, I played that last gig I played. I played for seven hours. 
First of all, because Morgan Wallen and Peyton Manning showed up and the place was packed and they were tipping like crazy and I needed the money. And so I played for stinking seven hours also because I knew I wasn't booking any more gigs after that show. And I didn't know when it was going to be another time that I was going to get to play like that again um, because I knew how bad I was hurting. But I was there and I could make it through it. So I did my thing. Um, but after that, I stopped playing gigs. And the only time I touched my guitar was when I was doing sessions like I did with you. Well, I, in that time, yeah. I was going, that's that's where I was. I had to stop playing my gigs, which was horribly frustrating. And the only time that I was playing was during those sessions. And during those sessions, I would play and be like, man, this feels like it's making things worse every time I touch this guitar. So in May of 2022, when my doctors finally put me on a muscle relaxer that gave me some sort of relief at that point, in May of 22, until then, for those like eight months, I got one to two hours of sleep at a time and was up for three to four hours in between those spouts every single time doing physical therapy and okay. yoga to get myself okay. to go back. Um, and, and what were we going to say? Uh, I was going to say um, that is just so tragic, but uh, sounds like you're in better shape today. So what? real quick, though, we're kind of running out of time, so I wanted to ask you a couple quick <laughs> questions. What's the criteria for for, for – you you warned us. What's the criteria for a vet getting involved with creative vets? Is there Great. This is an easy question. Criteria is all you got to do is get on creativevets.org and apply. Um, you obviously have to be a veteran to be able to go through a program at Creative Vets. Um, the, if you're a combat veteran, there's certain programs that you other programs that you can get into. But even if you're not a combat veteran, you can still get into certain programs like the one they have me run. Okay. And then you have a, a golf tournament on the 29th of April. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, dude. So we have that golf tournament every year. And obviously, it's we just do our best to get out there and, and throw the best golf tournament we can and raise as much money to bring as many veterans as we can in to do these programs. Um, we always have quite a few celebrities show up. And uh, it's always a big, exciting time in that sense. Um, but, yeah, we're pumped about it. And – as you can imagine, when the uh, when the golf tournament rolls around, the whole team kind of is scattered, running around, you know, fit, pulling all the loose ends together and everything. Everything. So it's kind of a busy time for us, but we love it. Yeah, I would love to uh, participate. By the way. Oh shoot! I have I have no idea how that works, but I can I can see if I can find out uh, some information for you today. All um, right, great. And then CG has one question. What you got? Yeah, so what do you think is like the most memorable experience you've had doing this project that keeps you just wanting to keep doing it more and more? Well, my my experience, of course. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, ultimately um, that's a really great question. I would say that all of them are special to me in a way, but ultimately, as a, if you write enough songs, you will know that some songs just like line up with you more than other songs do. Um, yeah. Ultimately, there's one song that I, I didn't really get to tell about, but there's a song called Unbroken that I wrote with a guy named Dan A. Bear, and he was coming through, through the main program. We were backstage at the Grand Ole Opry. <clears throat> and uh, when we started writing this song, he told us that he had experienced pain so bad that he didn't want to live. And, uh, we ended up writing a song to his kids um, to kind of explain to him how he was dealing with life. 
ultimately that song was called Unbroken. And uh, the chorus is, um, you know, I'm broken, but I'm in the fight. Yeah, I'm broken, but I'll be all right. I'm broken, but here's the truth. I feel unbroken when I'm with you. And um, when I wrote that song with him, I was in pain at that time, but nowhere near the kind of pain to where I wouldn't want to live. After I had that surgery for about a year, a year and a half, I started getting Botox back in August of this last year. And until then, I was I was miserable, miserable all the time. That song was a song that I leaned on heavily um, in the in the hardest years of my life. I remember sitting in the back room of Creative X. It was your new whiskey. Yeah, 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 dude. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but I did quit drinking back in 2017, and uh, yeah, music is definitely the whiskey <laughs> of choice for me these days. But that song, particularly that message, is something that carried helped carry me through that time. Um, and I never expected that song to be something that would carry me through a time like that, but it did absolutely. Well, that's awesome, Jesse. And, you know, we just are so grateful that you do what you do. Um, you know, I know you've touched many lives. I've done another pro- – I did another uh, project with Creative Vets. Um, I don't remember quite remember the, the, the uh, name of the people that I worked with, but I just felt like I had a connection with you, and, we, you know, we collaborated on that song, and it was awesome. And, you know, my wife really loves that song. So – You know, I just want to thank you for your time today. I also want to thank you for giving, you know, you know, I mean, I have no delusions of grandeur, like I'm going to be, you know, on the Gandrel Lopi stage with you, but, but just giving, you know, people hope, giving people uh, the the opportunity to, to uh, delve into their creative juices and uh, make, you know, a lifelong dream of mine come true just to be a songwriter is just awesome. So that makes me thank you so much for your time. Hey, yeah, man. And we will be good, good, good. And we will be in touch. And I um, thank you for your time today. And we will talk to you soon. And like we said earlier, if there's ever, if you guys know any veterans who are interested in this, I mean, our main goal is to to get rid of a veteran suicide. I know you can't like get rid of that, right? But like that's that's our goal to put a dent in that as much as we can. So if you know anybody who's suffering and has tried things and they don't know what else to try, give us a try. That's what we want. Check it out. Creativevets.org. All right. So our last segment, uh, Jesse is our time to shine. And so this is your opportunity to talk about anything we didn't cover. Uh, uh, we're going to preface that with, you know, keep it short. <laughs> yes. Okay, I can definitely keep it short, but ultimately that that's kind of how I ended up here at Creative Vets and and they have been so good to me and have helped me like ultimately this job that I've had, the opportunity like as far as healing has gone, the best thing that's been for me to do is play a guitar left-handed. Had I not had this job, had I not had the responsibility to give guitar lessons, I was so heartbroken by guitars. I wanted to take all 10 of these guitars I've got in this house and take them outside and smash them and then pour gasoline on them and watch them all burn. I was that upset. And I would have never picked up the guitar like I've had to with this job. And I'm so thankful that God had me here working this job when he did, because like I told Richard the other day, 
this program means just as much to me as any veteran who's been through it. I have gotten just as much benefit in the hardest times of my life um, as any veteran who's been through it. And so I'm very, very grateful to be here. I'm not a veteran myself. I'm just a bald headed civilian that loves writing songs and playing guitar. And um, I, I do have a really awesome job where I get to work with a lot of people and I get to meet a lot of people, a lot of really awesome people. And I do my best to be the best friend I can be to them when we're together. And uh, it, it's it's great because all of those people keep me continually inspired. And uh, yeah, I just feel like I'm I'm a really really lucky dude. I feel like the, the Lord's been good to me. I've had a hard I've had some hard things I've had to go to through, but God has been really good. And a massive part of that has been me being here at Creative Vets, getting to do what I'm doing. And so thank you guys for having me on to be able to talk about it, to tell more veterans about it. Um, because like I said, that's our, that's our goal is to put a dent in veteran suicide as hard of a dent as we can. Yes. And yes. Uh, after going through the last two years of my life and experiencing pain that made me not want to live for, like I said, about a year, year and a half, like I, I am very, very passionate about putting a dent in that as well. And so, uh, like I said, as are we, are we? If you or you know anybody who is like, hey, I'm struggling. I've gone to therapy. Didn't didn't work. Well, I'm going to tell you something that's crazy. I hear this a lot. Hey, man, that song we just wrote. I go to I've gone to therapy to try to deal with that multiple times. And I, we've gotten nowhere near as close to a breakthrough as what we've got in these rooms and these writers. So. If you know anybody, tell them to check us out, creativevets.org. All they got to do is apply, and then they will go to our veteran coordinator, and he will start sifting them out to whatever programs that they can get into from there. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. And by the way, congratulations on the marriage, you know, because last time we talked, you were still just, you know, just just a boyfriend and girlfriend. And Dude, long live the ball-headed beard posse. Hey, you want to hear something live- crazy? What? You want to hear something crazy? We're expecting a baby boy. In All August. right. Woo. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. We are. We were not planning that at all. I certainly, like, I mean, truth be told, I had, I had, like I told you, I'd saved up quite a bit of money um, before that surgery. And then after that surgery, all gone. So I was hoping I'd have a little bit more in the bank before I had a little baby come along, but that's all right. Yeah, the good Lord is going to be good, Lord. He'll he'll figure it he'll out. Provide, he always does. Thank you so much, Jesse. We'll be in touch and have a great day. Thank you, folks, for joining us for this segment. It was really exciting, near and dear to my heart. Uh, Jesse's a really good friend, uh, even though we've never really personally met. I just feel like I have a, a connection with him. So thanks for joining us, and thanks for sharing this experience with us. What else you got, H? And now it's tribute to the troops. Sir, I don't, I don't know how to tell the story. Well, you got to, Joe. You tell the American people what these men did here. You tell them how my troopers died.
Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to MBR today as we pay tribute to Sergeant Alec Langan, 23, of Chandler, Arizona, who died in a CH-53 helicopter crash during a routine training mission in Pine Valley, California, on February 6, 2024. Langan was assigned to the Marine Heavy Helicopter Squadron 361 Flying Tigers of the Marine Aircraft Group 16, 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing, and was based at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar, California. Langan enlisted in the Marine Corps on September 14, 2017, and was promoted to the rank of sergeant on October 1, 2022. He was just married last month to his new wife, Casey. Us here at MBR want to say thank you, Sergeant Alec Langan, for your service and dedication to our country. Our thoughts and prayers are with your family, friends, and those who served alongside you. And it's the glory A hundred stripes, a hundred stories It's the Pledge of Allegiance on the 4th of July It's them handwritten letters from home It's them sleepless nights alone It's his newborn baby he left with his wife Mr. Red, White and Blue
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, the Rebel Experience, where we educate so we can celebrate. Uh, we got CG in the house. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. We have ignition. Strap in. It's the two-minute warning. Two-minute warning. What we learned today. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Sponsored by OperationGoodBoy.com. Use code at checkout. Military Discount Radio. All right. So our final thoughts, uh, we're just going to run through it quick. Yeah, like three minutes. So for me, it's just, you know, these programs, SSV, Creative Vets, Music Therapy of the Rockets. I just love them. If, if you're if you're a fan of music, which most of us are, it's a great program. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I think it's great. I am learning so much about these different, you know, opportunities and avenues for veterans. I think it's pretty amazing. And you got to do your voiceover in I how many to, years? Yeah, I got to do my first voice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that I learned is, you know, everything, it, it's coming together, you yeah, know? Yeah. It's coming together. Whenever time looked tough, you know, tough times don't last. Tough people do. God, and, uh, yep, yep. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another great show out there on the Rebel Experience. We look forward to seeing you next week. Take care and God bless. That's the show for today, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with an all new show. And remember, you can listen to us again and again. The podcast of this radio show is available right after we go off the air tonight, anywhere that you can get your podcast episodes. And thanks for joining us today. I'd like to take a moment to talk about something close to my heart.